you had to know that somewhere along the line, when it turned 2020, the preacher was going to preach on your spiritual vision. You see, the number 2020 is an interesting play on words because 2020 is the baseline for good vision. Someone asks you, what's your vision? And you can say, well, 2030 or 2040. You can say, well, are you driving? Um, but uh, if you want to know if someone's vision is good, it's 2020. And, uh, of course, you can go and look up what that really means, the distance, the size of the letters. But you see, the truth is, it's obvious that sometimes people lack spiritual vision. They lack the ability to see properly things that are not of this world. You know, in Matthew chapter 13, verses 13 through 15, in the midst of the parables the Lord was preaching on, He said, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because they seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them is the prophecy of Isaiah fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of this people has grown dulls, their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn so that I should heal them. The Lord was preaching to people who did not perceive, and they did not gather what was taking place in their very presence. And sometimes the challenge is just to get people to open their eyes and see. In Acts 26 in verse 18, Paul describing to Agrippa his mission, he says to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. He said, my, my goal is to get people to open their eyes and see and Whenever we gather together and we have sermons that are evangelistic, it's to try to get people to see the opportunities that lie ahead of them. In Psalm 119, verse 18, David said, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law, that you and I could start appreciating fully what we're reading when we read Scripture. Well, obviously, if you're going to have a good spiritual vision, there are at least three ways that one ought to look. They ought to look up to God. They ought to look into self. And they ought to look outward to their neighbors and their needs. So for the next few minutes, let's look at thinking about having a good spiritual vision. We begin with Psalm 123 and verse 2, where David said, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters, and the eyes of the maid to the hand of their mistress. So our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. Well, you think about the figure of speech there. Here's a person who is serving a master. Maybe he's out in the field and he looks to his master for two things. He looks to his master, first of all, for the providing the things that he needs. He's going to have food. He's going to have shelter. But he looks to his master for also for the directions that he wants him to give him. And you think about then the same for the handmaid to her mistress. But we look to God. We look to God with thanks for what God has given us. And we also look to God for the directions that we need. And Isaiah focused 
their sight on looking up to God rather than looking at idols. I found myself in preparing for this, reading through Isaiah often and about thinking about, you look to God, you look to God. Let's just take four verses here. Brother Danny read chapter 40, verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. You look up and you see what God has done. And when you think about the host of heaven, you think about the sun, the moon, and the stars. David would ponder that in Psalms chapter 8. When I consider the sun, the moons, and the stars, what is man that you have created him? You've put under him all that has been created. You think about the grandeur of that. Or chapter 45 in verse 22. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. God says, look at me. Don't look at that idol over there. Don't look in that other direction. Look at the one who provides. In chapter 49 in verse 18. Lift up your eyes. Look around and see. All these things gather together and come to you. As I live, says the Lord, you shall surely clothe yourselves with them all as an ornament. And bind them on you as a bride does. God said, look at what I've given you and appreciate it. And then I go back to chapter 17, verses 7 and 8. And that day a man will look to his maker and to his eyes, will have respect for the Holy One of Israel. He will not look to the altars, the work of his hands. He will not respect what his fingers have made, nor the wooden images, nor the inc their incense altars. You see, he said, you look to God from whence comes our help. But we do that when we pray. When you and I look up, we look up to God and we give thanks for what he has provided. Psalm 5 and verse 3, my voice shall, he shall you hear in the morning, O Lord, in the morning. I will direct it to you and I will look up. We recognize that that's where God is and so... We look up to God. In Matthew 14 and verse 19, he's feeding a multitude. He commands them to sit down on the grass. And it says, he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. When we pray, I know sometimes we bow our heads, but in reality it is toward God that these prayers are addressed. But then I emphasize as well the looking up to God for direction, as we observed earlier. And in Ezekiel 40 and verse 4, And the man said to me, Son of man, look with your eyes and hear with your ears. Fix your mind on everything I will show you, for you were brought here so that I might show them to you. Declare to the house of Israel everything you see. Ezekiel, let me show you what I want you to know. We look up to God for the directions of life. God has provided for us all that he wants us to know. It's like Micah 6 and verse 8. He has shown you, old man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Not only do we look up, which we should have good spiritual vision looking and thinking about God, but we need to look inward as well look inside of ourselves listen as john writes in second john verse eight 
look to yourselves that we do not lose the things we worked for, but that we receive a full reward. Look to yourselves. What do you see within yourself? What do you observe about who you are? You see, you look inward for self-inspection. I don't know how many of you have done this, but it's the first of the year. Many of us, as the first of the year arrived, begin to say, there's some things that I need to do better. I need to spend more time praying. I need to spend more time studying. I need to spend more time focusing on this rather than that. And in order to do that, a person has to look and say, who am I? What am I doing? What about the choices I am making? Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15 says, Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Okay, now let's stop here for just a moment. Falling short of the grace of God. We all realize that there is a point in which God says that's not good enough. We recognize that just like, for instance, when you and I go to school and we turn in the work that we have been called upon to provide, there's some teachers say, you know, that's just not good enough work to get a good grade. And there's a sense in which some of us have just drawn back and we've said God's grace is going to take care of everything and I'm just going to accept what I get and no. But then the second part of that, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. Let me ask you a question. Are you bitter about something spiritually? Are you letting things hinder you from being who you ought to be and doing what you ought to do? Not only would that affect you, it will affect others as well. Ephesians 5 and verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. You think about how your interactions affect other people. And I look inwardly and am I saying things the way I ought to say them? Am I acting in a way that will cause others to want to come to services or am I turning people off? Perhaps the best of all these passages that reflects this is what Paul wrote the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? There ought to be some real objective self-evaluation on our part. When I'm reading the book of Proverbs, and I recommend you read that book often, or you read the book of James, the New Testament version of it, if you will, those books force us to take a hard look at a lot of the things. Be you doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. He talks about a man who says he has faith, but he doesn't do anything. Does that faith save him? Chapter 2. You see, the book of James and the book of Proverbs has a good way of how, allowing us to test who we are and what we are. But you see, as I look inward, I start seeing my failures. 
And I need to do that. Unless I see my failures, I can't correct them. In Luke 18 and verse 13, the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat himself upon the breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Do I see myself as a sinner? I am, and you are. We know from Romans 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There are things that we leave undone that we ought to do. There are things that we do we ought not to do. And are we saddened by that? Romans 12, 3, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. That means that I have to not look at my life with rose-colored glasses. That means that I don't always just brush over the things I've done wrong in favor of saying, well, I've done a lot of good things and done them well. Galatians 6 and verse 3, For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And it's so easy to do that. So you can't make improvements unless there's an honest appraisal of our condition. But now, for just a minute or two, let's talk about looking outward. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4, Paul is addressing the Philippians, and he's trying to impress upon them the attitude, the mindset of what the Lord gave for us. And he says, let each of you look out, not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. He's not saying that you shouldn't take care of yourself. In fact, if you listen to what we would call the golden rule, that you're to love your neighbor as yourself, and you treat him as you yourself want to be treated, that means you've got to love yourself to begin with, but you've got to also make sure that you care about others and you look and see what others need. And you have to see the needs of others. And there are people who have real, genuine needs and we have to open our eyes to see them, spiritually speaking. A lot of those needs are physical. A lot of people have genuine, sincere, physical needs and we sometimes turn our hearts away from them. Let me illustrate it from 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Do you remember the parable taught by the Lord in Luke chapter 10? Man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among thieves. They robbed him, they stripped him, they left him half dead. A priest came by and saw him and he walked by on the other side. Levi did the same thing. But there was a man who was a Samaritan came. He stopped. He poured oil and wine in his wounds. He bound him up. He put him on his own beast, carried him to an inn, took care of him and whatever else was needed, he provided it. Jesus asked the question, which of these proved neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? 
The answer is, he that showed mercy, compassion on him. You see, we find ourselves having this world's goods, having the ability. We have the opportunity, but we sometimes turn a blind eye to their needs. And when I say blind eye, we don't want to see it. And we're not looking outward. We're looking inward. We're thinking about ourselves and what's ours. But even much more important than looking and seeing others' physical needs is seeing their spiritual needs. Because there's some people who are really struggling with sin. Some are struggling with sin in such a fashion that they are, I don't want to use the word irredeemable, but at this point in their life they are. They're not willing to change. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 16, John writes, If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit a sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I, didn't say he did not, I do not say that he should pray about that. You see, there's two different kinds of sin. There's one that leads to death. There's one that does not lead to death. One that leads to death is the one that a man will not change. He will not repent. He's going to do what he wants to do regardless of what God says. 1 John 3 and verse 4, sin is a transgression of the law. And he's made up his mind, I'm going to transgress God's law because that's what I want to do. He said, don't pray about that one. But there are a lot of people, though, that they have gotten caught in the web of sin. Their weakness have allowed them, and maybe because of some of us putting a stumbling block in front of them, some of those people have gotten involved in sin, and they, they need, like Jude 23 says, to snatch them out of the fire. Because we care about them, because we're interested in We ought to pray for these people. Pray for their knowledge, pray for their understanding, pray that they will be able to listen and to learn. Of course, our problem is sometimes, though, we say we don't see them. As if they're not there. As if there's no opportunities before us. In John 4, verse 35, Jesus speaking says, Do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they're already white for harvest. You know, we look around at our society and our world and we say, look at the cultural divide that exists. And we say, there's no one here who wants to obey the gospel. But we don't turn and say, but there's thousands, literally millions of people who need the gospel. And we've got to find some way to get it to them. We've got to find some way to, uh, you know, if you've heard the, th the old phrase, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But it helps a whole lot if you'll give him some salt and make him thirsty and make him want to drink. So we ought to have that concern. But we must also look carefully at the true character of others. You look at people and sometimes we're so easy to judge them and their hearts in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7, Samuel was tasked by God to go and anoint one of the sons of Jesse 
as the next king over Israel. Saul had been a failure, and so God is going to send him, and he's going in and looking at the sons of Jesse, and it says in chapter 16 and verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, so often we just want to judge by what we think we see. And that's the reason why Jesus would say in John 7 and verse 24, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Don't judge too quickly. Don't judge too harshly. Don't judge without having a full understanding of the events that are before you. And that's the reason why when we get to Matthew chapter 7, I know you all know verse 1 extremely well. Judge not that you be not judged. But then we've got to go on and look carefully what he says in verses 3 and 4. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? But do not consider the plank in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye. And look, a plank is in your own eye. Jesus is saying... Spiritually speaking, what are you focusing on? Are you looking at the small faults that your brethren have while ignoring your own faults? Many times we want to look at our brethren's faults with magnification and we want to look at our own far, far away. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 7, Paul says, do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he's Christ, even so we're Christ. Now, we could spend a lot of time in the context here, but let me just offer just a brief observation of what you can draw from this passage. If you look at someone else and you say, well... You know, are they Christ? You look at yourself, well, am I Christ? When I look at myself, I'm able to take all the factors into consideration. I'm able to look at my motivation. I'm able to look at what I've done, what I thought I planned to do. You know, when I look at somebody else, I need to be willing to realize that they may have a good intent within their heart and They may have made serious mistakes, but they are still a child of God. And just like as Jesus was dealing with Zacchaeus, you remember Zacchaeus up in the tree? And everybody was ready to, you know, get on Zacchaeus. He's a tax collector. Jesus said he also is a son of Abraham. His soul is just as valuable. And yes, he may have made mistakes, but he he said, you know, if I've taken from anyone, I restore fourfold. I try to do what is right. There's all kinds of danger that awaits one who cannot see clearly. I've noticed several of the pictures on Facebook recently of someone saying, oh, I want you to see my little new cat, and it's a possum. Or, you know, they, they've got an animal because they, they're not seeing clearly. You know, when we're not seeing clearly, we're not observing the devil. 
We're not observing our faults. We're not seeing our brethren clearly. But we're also not seeing God and how God wants us to live. And one must look carefully at where he is and what he must do to be where God wants us to be. And, and that's really the thrust of the lesson right now. If you're looking at yourself, are you where God wants you to be? And if you're not, what are you going to do about it? What do you see in your life and what are you going to bring out of what you see? Some of us may see ourselves as struggling and striving and making progress. Some of us may look at ourselves and see, I'm lost. In my condition where I stand right now, I'm lost. And if I am, what will it take for me to be where God wants me to be? Well, obviously, if you're not a Christian, it's going to take faith in Jesus. It's going to take repenting of your sins. It's going to stand up and say to men, I believe that he's the son of God. And then to be baptized. What's it going to take if, I, if I'm an erring child of God? What if my heart is not right? What if my actions are not right? If it's private, pray to God. Ask for His forgiveness. Seek Him. If it's public, people know about it. People have seen you lie. People have seen you cheat. They've seen you sin in other ways. Let your brethren know that you're repentant of that and Ask them to pray for you. James 5, verse 16. Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We're going to sing the song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. And if you're subject to the Lord's invitation, would you come as together we stand and sing?